0: you challenge the establishment yeah which isn't common right which is not common on you <laughs> on youtube it's not as common yeah. you know, i feel like a lot of people communicate and they grow a fan base of fun more uh sensational things
1: right so um the overall network uh has entertainment shows it has sports shows all sorts of talk right but the flagship show young turks uh was political from the get-go, you know. In the beginning, before that, we actually started before the Iraq War. So before the Iraq War, it was supposed to be fifty percent politics and fifty percent J Lo's ass, right? Yeah, it's just still lighthearted and fun for half the topics. And we've gone, and then when the Iraq War started, and there was almost no one on air saying that it was a disaster. Don't go. We were screaming, "Don't go!" uh And and I think Amy Goodman was also saying that nationwide. And I think we were about it, uh, those two voices in the wilderness. And then there were some local guys, at the, you know, like Randy Rhodes, I think, down in Florida. Uh, but na- broadcasting nationwide, we were it. And so we felt some responsibility to the country uh, to be a strong, progressive voice and challenge the establishment. I mean, that's part of the reason we named it Young Turks in the first place. You know, Young Rebels... Looking to overthrow the established system. So, we feel that about that in politics, and we feel th- uh, the same way about the media.
0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the show. This is Ryan Williams. So glad you're here. I'm ex- very, very excited, as you can tell from my voice. It's a little raspy and hoarse. Been writing a lot for the book, been at a wedding this weekend where I rapped. Everyone who listens to the show knows that I have rapped a lot in my life at weddings. Um, but in all seriousness, I love this episode. So, Jank and his team, have they crowdfunded this office in Culver City, Los Angeles, and they hosted me, and I was there. It's not even finished, and they let me do this. I also videoed it, so I'm going to be giving that out to the community down the line. So, anyway, if uh, you want to subscribe on iTunes, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. It really helps with discoverability. Also... I have finished a chapter in my book around a YouTube creator that was on the podcast. I will not be divulging who this character is, but if you email me, ryan, at influencereconomy.com, I will send you the first chapter of the book, and would love to hear what you think about it and get your feedback as well. So hit me up, ryan, at influencereconomy.com, and if you have any questions around podcasting, feel free to hit me up as well. So without further ado, let's get back into the interview number 56 with Jenk. From the Young Turks. Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Hope everyone's doing well. I'm here at the Young Turks newly crowdfunded office. That's right. How are you doing? With Zhank. Welcome.
1: Thanks for having me, man.
0: Uh, I'm excited to have you on the show. I've actually been following you for a long time. I used to work at Machinima way back in the day. Some mm-hmm. of you
1: all were doing the political thing so well on YouTube. Thank you, man. Yep, yep. Uh, We've been in this for a long time. We started the company back in 2002, and we've been doing online video since 2005. 2005? Yeah. And so, is your background in politics
0: or as a journalist?
1: Yeah. No, no. Um, I started out as a lawyer, and I did that for about three and a half seconds. Uh, And (laughs) I hated it, and I started becoming... For lack of a better way of putting it, a talk show host. And so I did local cable access, I did radio, I did TV, and then finally online.
0: Cool. Can yeah. you explain the Young Turks to people out there who aren't fans yet?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. So right now we've got a network of about 30 channels. That's what we call the TYT network. Okay. The flagship show is the Young Turks. That's the original show we started all the way back in 2002. It started as a radio show on Sirius satellite radio, it was their first original talk show. Then in 05 five um, we turned it into an online video show and it's actually the longest running uh daily stream um on the web so uh in terms of daily streaming content, we've been doing this since the be- uh, the end of two thousand five and can you explain what the content is because I feel yep. like you're very much uh
0: you challenge the uh, you challenge the establishment yeah which isn't com- Goddamn which is, right which is not common on youtube <laughs> on youtube it's not as common yeah. you know I feel like a lot of people communicate and they grow a fan base of fun more uh sensational things
1: right so um the overall network uh has entertainment shows it has sports shows, all sorts of talk right, but the flagship show young turks uh was political from the get go, you know. In the beginning, before that, we actually started before the Iraq War. So before the Iraq War, it was supposed to be fifty percent politics and fifty percent J Lo's ass, right? Yeah. It's just still lighthearted and fun for half the topics. And we've gone, and then when the Iraq War started, and there was almost no one on air saying that it was a disaster. Don't go. We were screaming, "Don't go!" Uh, and and I think Amy Goodman was also saying that nationwide. And I think we were about it, uh, those two voices in the wilderness. And then there were some local guys, at the, you know, like Randy Rhodes, I think, down in Florida. Uh, but na- broadcasting nationwide, we were it. And so we felt some responsibility to the country uh, to be a strong, progressive voice and challenge the establishment. I mean, that's part of the reason we named it Young Turks in the first place. You know, young rebels looking to overthrow the established system. So we feel that about that in politics, and we feel th- uh, the same way about the media. And you now branched out into sports and entertainment and a lot of different
0: verticals and industries you cover. So you're
1: Yeah, but it's always the same idea. So in sports, um, a lot of people have to kiss ass to the leagues because they have the league rights. So look at what happened with Bill Simmons and ESPN. Uh, when he criticized the NFL, he's got to go. Yeah,
0: watch that video he put up. Yeah. Yeah, got Roger Goodell, you can't criticize the machine that feeds you because yeah. the NFL, ESPN are in bed together.
1: Yeah, and they make billions of dollars together.
0: And he's a dollar sign that's a lot smaller.
1: Yeah. So, for example, when I was on MSNBC at 6 o'clock, I I got the best ratings they ever had at 6 o'clock in the last quarter that I was there. And so conventional wisdom, and the wisdom that I believed was the case uh, when I went in, is if you get good ratings, well, you accrue power and and, and that's what they care about because that's what drives the money. Right. And so that was a good way of I thought maybe you get inside the castle, challenge the establishment, but since you got the good ratings they can't fire you. Well, it turns out I was wrong. Okay. Now they didn't fire me. They offered me more money, uh, but to move to the weekends and off of six o'clock. And so what I realized later is no Comcast has all these dealings with the government. They want a merger approved, they mm-hmm. want, you know, to kill net neutrality. Now they didn't win on those counts, but they fought really hard on all those counts. And so to them, that's worth billions of dollars. So your guy at 6 o'clock gets slightly better ratings. Yes, that's money, but that's small money, right? Rocking the boat cost them a lot of money, and so they had no interest in that. And you just apply that across everything in entertainment. That's why they kiss the celebrities' ass so much. That's why Lindsay Lohan is such a train wreck because everybody around her is a sycophant saying, Oh, you're right, Lindsay. You're right, Lindsay. We're the guys that come in and say, Oh, no, no, trust me, Lindsay. You are not right. So would you say you're more beholden to than the community? Yeah. Look, we have a revolutionary idea, which is serve the audience. Uh, That's not that revolutionary. Right. It shouldn't be, right? (laughs) It should be super simple. That should be what everybody's doing. But they can't. They can't. So when you're – and I don't fault the management. Like people think I got bad blood with Phil Griffin who runs MSNBC. I don't at all. The guy's just doing his job, right? His job is to make his boss happy. His boss is at Comcast. His boss rightfully cares a lot more about the merger than he does about some ratings at MSNBC. That's just the way that machine works. So in that machine, you can't serve the audience first. You've got to serve your executives first, your corporate interests, your advertisers, your by the way the politicians 'Cause look at what Chuck Todd said. You know, when he was on with Lewis Black on, on Meet the Press, he slipped up because he was talking to a comedian and Lewis Black says, Why don't you yell at these guys more? You know, he's joking around and Chuck Todd said, Well, I can't I can't be overly aggressive to the guests, otherwise they won't come back on. Right. Ah, uh, you see that, you need access to the politicians so you don't actually level with the audience and tell them, Hey, these guys are all getting bribed. And they're just doing whatever their donors want them to do. You never say that because then they wouldn't come back on,
0: right so then the relationship you have then is you're direct to the fan, to the audience, to the consumer, yep, and then you're giving them what your viewpoint is mm-hmm. And so do you have access to a lot of famous people, or does that I guess it doesn't matter yeah, so or well I don't mean famous, but like more well-known people that- yep so there's
1: a couple of components there uh one we don't have corporate executives to answer to we're independent company boom check right um uh number two in terms of advertisers we have advertisers and and you you got to keep us honest too you got to keep it real once you have some financial incentives uh that winds up influencing you so uh one of the reasons we did subscribers on our website is because we want to be have the right financial motivations and uh and if we are beholden to our subscribers, to our members on our website, well, that sets up the right incentive system. Now, in terms of advertisers, though, we know that serving the audience is more important. We think about that all the time. So, for example, when we were on Current, uh, an oil company wanted to advertise with us, and we said no. Right? That's, oh, really? Yeah. Look, we can't honestly take an oil company's money – While we're clearly against some of the things that they're doing. Now, it doesn't mean, for example, there's a lot of banks that are bad actors. We wouldn't take their uh, uh, money either. But that doesn't mean we don't take any financial companies. No, there are financial companies who are doing the right thing. There's a specific project American Express was working on uh, for people who are getting ripped off by payday loans. Great. Mm -hmm. Then we work with American Express. It makes sense, right? We've got to keep ourselves honest. The audience has got to keep us honest, but the main thing is serve the audience first. Now, on the issue of access, so I, I, I got told this a long time ago by Harry Reid's office. The same guys aren't even there anymore, so if you ask them, they'd probably be like, "What? I don't, you know." I, I know the guy, and he's moved on to three different jobs since then. But he told, he pulled me aside and said, Jenk, you're banned. Okay, uh, Harry Reid won't come on your show anymore because uh, you, you know, we we hear all the things you've been saying about him, right?" And I thought fantastic right so chuck todd's worried about that i don't blame him again he's got a job to do his bosses tell him you need harry Reid, you need john mccain on there who wants to hear john mccain again right. who cares the reality is all these politicians are deathly dull the audience is enormously uninterested right all they're going to do is come on and do talking points now every once in a while you want to come on and have an honest conversation with me great let's have an honest conversation you're going to answer my questions terrific then i'll have you on okay yep. if not I'm going to need you to go ahead and piss off. Right.
0: That reminds me of something Tony Kornheiser once said about athletes, how he never wants to book them on his radio show. And he's, uh, For those that don't know, he's a Washington, D.C. pundit. You've probably seen him on you know PTI on ESPN, but he was saying he doesn't like athletes because he doesn't get anything from them. And yep. he'd much rather have other journalists or writers that could give you meat and actually be critical versus someone who's going to say a vanilla answer just to appease the masses.
1: Can't stand vanilla. Yeah, yeah. And and all that access that they care so much about, and ironically, it leads to f- much more boring shows. Like, so I remember once at MSNBC, they gave me a stylistic suggestion, which they have every right to do w- when I'm working on their platform, right? And they're paying me. Um, and they said, "Jenk, act more like a senator. And I thought to myself, <laughs> why? Why? Why would you want me to yeah. be more boring, more unlikable? Who likes their senators? The answer is... MSNBC, Fox, CNN, they love the senators. So they think everybody loves the senators. No, the people at home usually hate the senators. So what
0: do Fox, MSNBC think about the Young Turks?
1: (laughs) Well, um, from time to time we get uh, news from friends uh, about how they are displeased. Oh, really? <laughs> well, God bless their hearts. Look, if I was them, I'd be annoyed, too. Like, here are these guys who keep saying, oh, we're going to take down the establishment, we're going to take down you guys. And then Yeah, they got a right to be pissed about that. Look, our, we think our goal is to replace CNN mm-hmm. uh, worldwide, right? So we, we're right now much larger than them on YouTube, about four or five times larger than them on YouTube. Uh, we want to be larger than them on all digital platforms and then on all platforms, period. So if somebody come, is coming after me, I'd be annoyed, right? So I'd be amused. Right, <laughs> but or I'd flattered. Be flattered, right? That those are all things that are true. So yes, uh, we have, we've rattled their cage a little bit.
0: And so what is the threat? Mm-hmm. That you have access to
1: mobile screens, younger audiences? Okay, so it's really easy to summarize. Um, the average age of CNN's audience is 63 years old. Average age of Fox News' audience is 68 Average age of Bill O'Reilly's audience is 72, okay? The guy's doing a shot of a senior citizen center. Uh, 78% of our audience is under the age of 35. Now, who owns the future? Yeah, that's
0: incredible. I mean, in 60 to 70 age demographic, that's really who you're, who's watching TV still. In live, person, we're watching on demand. Your content lives forever. We can go back to archives. Actually- you can actually be held more accountable.
1: Oh, definitely. You, know,
0: yeah. you go on TV as a pundit, you can say things and predict elections and just forget about it six months later as if it never happened.
1: So some groups, I think Media Matters was one of them, the breakdown of how horrific the pundits are, right? Mm-hmm. Their, their track record is abysmal and they keep getting invited back on. But you, they're missing the point. They, they're not brought on for their accuracy. They're brought on to parrot conventional wisdom. Uh, oftentimes it's the exact opposite of reality, but they don't care. That's not their job. Their job sometimes is to get it wrong. Like, yeah. They don't know that. They, right. It's not a global conspiracy. Nobody's smoking c- cigars in a room. Yeah. Making this. Like, like So the pundits don't know that they're being brought ba- back on to be jackasses. They think they're brilliant. They think that they're being brought back on to be like, oh, oh well, yes, I do. I've mm-hmm. been really good at this, and let me tell you more. I mean, look, I—, I I don't know why now I'm hesitating to name names, but there was a there was a moment uh, when Chris Matthews said that Michelle Bachman uh, was going to win. Come on, dude! Come yeah. on! No, nobody who covers politics yeah. thought Michelle Bachman ever had a chance, even when she was leading, right? And this was back in 2008, obviously. I'm sorry, in 2012 uh, when she was briefly leading the race, right? So uh, but that's a one example, but it, that's just thousands of examples from all across the board. Now we're held accountable. I get something wrong on the internet and I got 1000 people going ha ha. <laughs> but that's great. They're they're partly
0: my editors, mm-hmm. right? It's almost like they're the a co-host. Yeah. Like they come in and hold you accountable.
1: Yeah, and what I do and so I'm unique in this sense. I I do the punditry and the predictions well ahead of time. I say hold me accountable, okay? Uh, and I'll do varying degrees like sometimes I'll say write it down in stone. This is done, okay? In fact, just yesterday on the show, the Democrats blocked uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership fast-track authority for President Obama, and we said, that's great, good job, Democrats, it's a bad uh, piece of legislation or trade agreement, Um, but I said, it's not going to hold. I mean, there's 12 Democrats who are going to switch, and trust me that President Obama is definitely going to get disapproval. And, of course, he did, and we got that news today. Now, why... Do I think I have a better track record? And you can go online and you can see my predictions. You can see what happened with them. Uh, Much, much better than the other pundits. Is it I'm smarter? I know politics better? Yes. No, I'm kidding. No. (laughs) That's not why. It's because the answer is actually super simple. They just don't want to admit it. The answer is who's got more money? Right. It's not rocket science. All you do is you figure out who's got more money and you'll know who's going to win conservatively 95 percent of the time that's why i'm the world's best pundit so you look at like
0: how do you get into packs and super packs and do you have a team of researchers so
1: often so much of money is hidden no oftentimes it's not that complicated at all so there are rare issues where the money is a a little bit more of a secret uh closer issues. So on an issue like the trade agreement, all the corporations agree uh, they want fast track authority for Obama. It, it's will write it down and grant it will definitely happen definitely there's no question now all the Democrats all oh, rebellion oh no we're not gonna let Obama do that of course you are mm. look at this Mitch McConnell who hates Obama has fought Obama and everything is bear hugging Obama to get him executive authority mm. to do the deal why because the corporations run us they they donate more than anyone else it's just simple logic who who signs the checks for the politicians huge donors so how s- so huge donors say you're gonna get the trade deal you're gonna get the goddamn
0: trade deal yeah so okay. how surprised were you that net neutrality was upheld and
1: okay so because I mean, that was an instance where i was completely shocked i thought that we were doomed okay so i broke that down on the show so conventional wisdom is hey jank you see that uh, money doesn't always win uh the people want net neutrality no Now net neutrality was a super close issue and and it played out just that way. If you notice, there was a lot of wavering back and forth and it looked like it might go one way or the other and it was in reality super close. Why? Because the reality is that the money was super close. There was a lot of money on both sides. So four million signatures sent in by American citizens. Normally what the Senate would do with that or the House or everybody looking at it, they would laugh and laugh. Oh, four mm-hmm. million. Who cares who gives a shit you guys didn't give me? You didn't sign any of my checks. I don't care at all. Princeton did a study over you know, a 40-year stretch. Uh, public opinion had zero effect on policy. Zero. We don't live in a democracy. Right. We don't. Like people think that's a big radical thing to say. It's a it's, fact. Mm. It's a fact. They looked at 1,800 policy positions Zero effect, that means you don't live in a democracy. Okay, so what happened instead in net neutrality? So, yes, Comcast, Verizon, all those guys, huge amount of money saying kill net neutrality. But Google and Facebook, on the fence, not quite sure, they come out and say, all right, we're for net neutrality. Okay, President Obama, very close timing to that. Some argue before, some argue after, right? But right around the same time, says... Oh, yeah, yeah, I meant for for net neutrality. Remember when I said that like four years ago and I haven't said a goddamn word about it since? Well, now that Google and Facebook have made up their mind and they are huge uh, donors to the Democratic Party and to my previous campaigns, after I lost the bankers as my number one donors, I gained Silicon Valley as my number one donors, I meant net neutrality, (laughs) okay? So then Obama puts a lot of pressure, but that's not all. It's still a tie because, yes, those guys have a ton of money, but Comcast... And and all those other companies poured in a ton more money on the other side. So what broke the tie? All the people who invested in online companies, who are the richest people in the country, okay? So all those venture capitalists, private equity, uh, you know, all your Mitt Romneys, et cetera, they poured money into online companies assuming that we would have these rules. So when the Comcast of the world came in and said we're going to change the rules so that it's in our favor – All those big, rich donors were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I made all these investments worth billions of dollars expecting these old rules. You're not changing the rules on us. That swung the balance. That's why we went on net neutrality. It wasn't the people I wish it was. It was still the money.
0: It wasn't John Oliver.
1: (laughs) No, God bless John Oliver. He did a great job. I I love what he did there. And don't get me wrong. I, I don't want look, you should do all that stuff anyway. Maybe in a case like net neutrality where it was so close to 50-50, maybe it tips it. Maybe that's the exception to the rule. So God bless. Sign away you know, and get excited, get involved. Look, for us, I, I, I'm the exact opposite of a pessimist. I don't want anybody to get me wrong. Like, uh, I'm not the guy telling you to sit at home and do nothing. I'm the exact opposite. What we got to do is get money out of politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, the rest of it, I love your effort, but you can go try to save the whales all you want. They're not going to pay, uh, pay attention to you. Guaranteed, write it in stone, they're not going to listen to you. Okay? The only way they listen to you is if we regain our democracy. The way to regain our democracy is stop letting rich people, corporations, private donors write checks to politicians. Everybody knows that's bribery. Everybody knows it. There are only five guys on the Supreme Court are going, I don't see it, blah, 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 blah. I don't see the bribery. What are you talking Of, of course it's bribery. <laughs> they're giving them millions of dollars in this election cycle. They're going to spend, uh, the, one projection was $8 billion in this election overall. You think they're giving the $8 billion for their health? No, they're looking for a return on investment. They get back, Represent.us or Represent.us that did a great little video explaining those donors get back. Trillions of right. dollars, right. okay, about four point four trillion dollars in return. So you got to get the money out of politics. That you can do. We joined, We started our own pack to fight against all the other packs. It's called Wolf Pack, okay. So our audience is super revved up. We don't sit on our couch. We go out there and attack, okay. And so far, we've already won in four states: Vermont, California, Illinois, and New Jersey. Where we've gotten several houses in in many different. Uh, other states, including red states, we've got in New Hampshire, we had 84 Republicans voting with us because everybody hates the corruption. The Republicans hate the corruption. I don't mean the politicians. At the national level, they love the corruption. The corruption is how they got there, right? Mm-hmm. But at the state level, even – I know it seems shocking, but even the Republicans hate corruption. They're like, they, they call it crony capitalism. And, they, they, and so when – Walmart gets a huge advantage. Yeah, they're guy's funded by Walmart, but a lot of people go, oh, man, why are we giving them all the subsidies and letting them run Bob and Sally out of town, right? That doesn't make any sense. So our p- purpose is to get called for a convention state by state so you can propose an amendment to get money out of politics. The amendment's the only thing above the Supreme Court. So why do you think your audience
0: is so galvanized? Mm-hmm. You seem like you're an ordinary guy, mm-hmm. but now suddenly you have a media company. Mm -hmm. And you were in a studio that has been funded by your community. There's people outside that have their names on the wall that donated it to your crowdfunding campaign. So why is it you that took this chance after being a lawyer? And I mean, this is years in the making. What people don't understand is people think there's a viral moment or (laughs) overnight success. And this is years, years of grinding it out.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the longest night in history, if this was an overnight <laughs> success. Uh, no, I, like I said, we've been doing the show for 13 years. And um, so I'll t- tell you a little bit about the funding campaign, and then I'll tell you why I think it's us. Um, we we wanted to raise money to rebuild this studio and, and build a second studio over there uh, so that we could do more shows and, and, and get the word out better. Um and we thought internally we'd raise about $150,000 which is a lot you know and so we thought that's pretty ambitious but let's say let's let's go nuts let's tell the audience we're going to shoot for 250 right we probably won't get there but it'll you know help motivate people and stuff like that let's work towards that goal. so you thought you're going high yeah we thought we were going way high when we were asking for 250 right oh wow yeah and we wound up raising $425,000 Okay, people still come up to us every once in a while and say, "Is it too late to get on the on the wall because the guys who g- gave a thousand bucks are on the wall right oh, cool. and so I love everybody who gave i don 't care if you gave five bucks, ten bucks, et cetera, but we just we needed the money for the studio, so that 's why one guy named this chair, three people named the different cameras, and, yeah, and every say every day I see Weissman up there, I see you know uh, all, I I sit on uh, on not on the guy's name literally,
0: but no. It's it's funny when your uh, your launch video for the crowdfunding Uh, campaign, you talk about like that camera could be Bob, you know that camera could be Steve, and so people actually call them by the names of
1: yeah, like so. And we do it internally too. So hey, which camera am I on? You know, oh, you're on Weissman's camera. (laughs) Okay, Weissman's not a cameraman. He's the guy who helped fund the camera. How how much did he pay? uh, The cameras were five k. So that's a lot. God bless his heart. Um, uh, Anders Van Damme from Belgium, regular guy, 29-year-old, you know, works in a lab, not super rich or anything, gave uh, $10,000 because he loves the show. He believes in the show. He believes in the idea, right? He ke- flew out here, and, uh, and, and we had dinner together, et cetera, right? Was that
0: part of the perk? That yeah, he-
1: yeah, that's right. And so now why us? Um, there's 300 million people in the country. We didn't pick us. The audience picked us, right? So we were doing what we were doing, hoping for the best. And, you know, there's a ton of people out there doing what they're doing. And and there's all these guys, you don't see them now, that are towing the corporate line, not because they're bad guys, just because that's what they were taught, believe it or not, in places like journalism school, right? So they're out there in Albuquerque doing the local news, doing the car crash, the fire. They're doing radio in, you know, in San Antonio and... And and all these guys get told by their bosses, do this, right? And they just do the standard things. Those guys are not blowing up because there is no real demand for that. Okay? Everybody does that. Everybody and, and the audience now, especially millennials, people under the age of 35, find it enormously fake and they hate it. They rewarded us because they said, yeah, okay, we like what you're doing. I'm going to keep watching that and I'm going to tell my friends, right? That's how we got to be where we are. If we were doing the wrong things, we wouldn't have gotten here. And if we start doing the wrong things, if we start lying to the audience, not being honest, not challenging the establishment, then they're going to go away.
0: So in a lot of ways, you're not on TV. People like you aren't on television. Mm-hmm. And you didn't go up through the, like, the machine of yep. working in politics or working covering a beat you know, in Washington, D.C. and then you know, going on Meet the Press as a guest. And you didn't play the game to work in big corporations. So yeah. the Internet lends itself to you.
1: Yeah, so let me explain.
0: I can't, I can't find you on TV. There's not a lot. Of, you said you were on TV at one point.
1: Yeah, I was on MSNBC and then I was on Current TV, a total of about three years. And Current is more of an alternative. It was more of an alternative. It was run by Al Gore and Joel Hyatt, and, and they let us say whatever we want. Right. right. So, okay, so let me explain the normal path. Uh, so there's a couple of different ways you can get to be, you know, a political pundit or, or cable news host, right? One is you work your way up through local news. Okay, now if you're doing that, what expertise do you have in politics? None. Okay. You're just a pretty face chasing the the cars and right, the fires. Right. And you work your way up from, like I said, Albuquerque to, oh, you're in Portland. Nice job. Oh, wow. You made it to California and welcome to the big leagues and you're now on CNN. But those guys are news actors. Okay. They're not news anchors. They don't, it, all along those steps, maybe right in the beginning when they were really young, but other than that, they don't produce it. The producers are smart. They know the news, even though in local news, really, I mean, what are they doing? They're mainly crap, honestly, right? So not, yeah. these guys never got trained in politics. They never knew politics or or news. They got trained to read the prompter. You just, all you, they're just glorified readers. And they right? look good on camera. Yeah, and- I mean, look here, again, I'll name one name here. Bill Hemmer, who used to be on CNN and is now on Fox News, right? Does he care that he was supposed to be neutral at uh, CNN and he's supposed to be conservative? And he reads conservative talking points day in, day out at Fox News, right? No, there's nothing going on up there. He's an actor. He's like, like, hand me the script. You want me to be conservative? I'll be conservative. You want me to be neutral? I'll be neutral. He'll go to MSNBC next day and, you know, read a progressive script. He's an actor. That's all he is, right? So did I want to do that? Hell no, I didn't want to do that. Or, now another way you can get on cable news is through an oddball way of like, oh, you know, you were a lawyer, you appeared on TV, they liked you as a guest, and you work your way up kind of in that way. But how do you, quote unquote, work your way up that way? Well, the executives have to like you. In order for the executives to like you, yeah, ratings matter, no question, if you're guest hosting, you're getting trials and stuff. The other thing they got to like is, don't rock the boat. Okay, if you rock the boat, uh, uh, he's a little crazy. Right. They, they'll say things like they'll be code words. He's a little out there. Right. And so all those things and he, they weed those guys out. Yeah. So if you're interesting, you're going to serve the audience. You're going to tell people, hey, you know what, whatever you think is the truth. Like I don't have a monopoly on the truth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like I mean, in some ways, of course, I have a big ego because I'm a talk show host. I tell people what I think and think that they might care. <laughs> right. But in other ways, I have no ego at all. I mean, it, I, I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong. A lot of the things I predict, unfortunately, are not good news. So I'm like, please, please, Obama, prove me wrong. Do something wildly progressive and I'll come out here and you know I will and, and say, oh, man, boy, he did a great job with that. I didn't see that coming. God bless his heart, right? So I, I, I don't have to be right. I don't care. I don't care. I just want to do the best I can. You, the, the point is to honestly pursue the truth, right? With, nobody's got a monopoly, but you can actually try to get to the truth. So that's what we try to do. But if you do that on TV, off you go. Escorted from the building. Okay, so, so in this new world, though, all that fake stuff is not rewarded. Authentic is re- rewarded. So, a lot of people might not know this. How did I get the MSNBC job in the first place? Our audience did a campaign. Like before the Indiegogo campaign, they did a TYT on MSNBC campaign. They sent in hundreds of pictures of them holding up TYT and MSNBC signs. They sent in thousands of emails. In every way, uh, they bombarded MSNBC saying, "You got to get this guy on." Until MSNBC went, "Whoa, what is this?" And so they they asked me in for an interview, and that's how the whole process began. How long ago was that? That was back in 2010.
0: So then, your fans just picked it up and ran with it. Yeah, that's amazing.
1: It, it is. I mean, how, so you were a lawyer, and did you actually practice law? Seven months in D.C. and then two months in New York, so okay. almost not at all.
0: So you're like on K Street or DuPont Circle and
1: Yeah, yeah, DC I was around there. Yeah, I and was. Like, uh, and I was on I Street, pretty close to K I'm, Street. I'm from
0: D.C. originally, so yeah. everyone there wears brown suits. The first question they ask <laughs> is, what do you do? You right. meet someone at a bar, you meet him at a cocktail party, what do you do? It's not what your name is, where you're from, or like what you like to do.
1: Yeah, last time I was in D.C., somebody was complaining about that. On the one hand, I feel like, well, that's a rational question. But then I realized, no, 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 that they're not asking (laughs) for the same reason I'm asking. It's not out of like genuine curiosity, like, hey, Ryan, what are you doing? There's an agenda. Yeah, like they're trying to determine. They're moving.
0: Their head's moving the whole time. they're
1: trying to determine whether you're important enough to talk to them. Exactly.
0: How can you help them?
1: Yeah. So um, at the time, I was a corporate officer's and director's. Uh, liability litigation. So that's the the field I was in. That means when CEOs and executives cheated people, we represented them. <laughs> so it was as bad as it gets. That's amazing. So my I I ran out of the building I mean, with my hair on fire. Counter to what you're doing now. Exactly. So I I mean I asked out of at least one case and the partner was a nice guy and he said, "Yeah, yeah, you, you but you know you're a lawyer, right? I mean this is what we do." And I thought, "Nah, not for long." <laughs>
0: And what was your leap that you took to start the show? Essentially, you said you know you were doing local access,
1: and do- yeah, yeah, back then so
0: there wasn't the internet. Doing- that's right.
1: That's right. So a friend of mine suggested that uh, I go to a learning access course on how to start your own TV show. In New York? Uh, that was back in New York when I was graduating from law school. Where'd you go to school? Columbia. Okay. And uh, and I thought, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That makes no sense. But it sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, it was like 40 bucks or something. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll do yeah. it, right? And she I've done that before.
0: Yeah. Back then in the early 2000s, that's the only alternative you had was the Wayne's World dream. That's right. You know, local yeah. access. You just get the skill set. It's really not and, that much different than YouTube. And there, but there's no distribution.
1: That so you're, do, you're
0: doing it for your parents and your friends. And
1: so I started in Arlington. And the, the first time, so the Learning Annex course tells me, go to your public access. By yeah, law, they have right. to give you a show. And I was like, wow. This I started
0: one in D.C. Yeah. And yeah. It was budget.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean,
0: yeah. this is like towers over it in comparison. And-
1: yeah, the original uh, between two ferns. That, yeah, that was no joke. I mean, I was literally between two ferns, <laughs> yes. and and I was doing yes. the show. Um, and but the first uh, show I did, I came out saying, "Boom, that's it. I'm done. Drop the mic. I love this. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life." Okay. Wow. Yeah. And and it was. I guarantee you, if you watch that first Young Turk show, it was called Young Turk back then. Um, it's uh, horribly boring. It's mainly about uh, politics and philosophy. We talked for an hour straight. Uh, I'm sure no one else was interested, uh, but I loved it. I was like, yes, this is living life. This is what I got to do.
0: No money. No, oh, no. P- labor of love, passion.
1: In fact, one of the reasons I left law so quickly was because I didn't want to get hooked on the money. Once you get hooked on the money, uh, then you're done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's one of the principal ways they get their hooks in you. Were for you able you. to pay back your loans? Well, I'm a super lucky guy. My dad helped me with okay. that. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm that rare guy where Mitt Romney says, oh, why don't you just get a loan from your dad? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I actually could get a loan from my dad, <laughs> so I use the Romney model.
0: And you have binders full of women. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you tell the Romney line. Yeah. No, and <laughs> no. don't
1: get and, and I don't want people to get it wrong. It's not like my dad had Romney money. He's not enormously wealthy or anything. He literally grew up as an olive farmer in southeastern Turkey. And that's part of the reason why I'm progressive, because- the thing that made all the difference in our lives was that uh, he scored well enough in, in the Turkish exams to get a free education. So here's this kid who was broker than broke, at, like a farmer, uh, had nothing, uh, lived in a something barely above a village, right, in, in, near the Syrian border, gets to go to Istanbul, get a free education as a mechanical engineer, and then off to the races. That education made all the difference, and so as a progressive, I believe in equality of opportunity. I don't believe in equality of results, right? So, some, some on the left might disagree with me on some of that, you know, how that gets applied, right? But we got to give people opportunity. I, I, the conservatives like Romney who get the opportunity and then want to burn the bridge down after them. They drive me nuts. How else is that olive farmer going to have any chance, right? So that's what – so my dad built his business eventually and then came here and built another business here. Where where was that? In the Uh, U.S.? It was in Eatontown, New Jersey. You grew up in New Jersey? Yeah, I grew up in New Jersey in East Brunswick, and my dad's building was in Eatontown. So – I mean, we, we built it from the ground up, but it's also not like, you know, the Republicans say, oh, he's a self-made man. I mean, they would look at my dad and say, American dream, right. self-made man. See, we told you. All he, you need is boots. He's not lazy, right. hard worker, right. meritocracy. Totally. The reality is, my dad will tell you, no. One, I wouldn't have gotten any of it if the government didn't pay for my college education. None of it. Where'd you go, undergrad? Uh, I went to University of Pennsylvania. Okay. so But I'm talking about my dad. In the oh, right, right, right. Okay. Okay. And then number two... Oh, back in Turkey? Back in Turkey, right? Uh, but it applies everywhere. And number two, he said, I had nowhere to live. It, it's like, it's not a joke. He had no money, okay? So he had to live with his uncle in a little room uh, in his uncle's apartment. And he's like, if my uncle didn't give me the apartment, I couldn't have made it, right? And he could list you a 1,000 people that helped him along the way that he would have never made it without all their help, Right. That's another thing that makes me a progressive. We do this together, right? So when we say on the show, we're not the Young Turks, the audience is the Young Turks, and we built this show from the ground up. After we left Air America, if the audience didn't come in in droves and become members to our show, we would have gone bankrupt. Okay, we'd have been out of business back in 06, 07. Did
0: you ask people for donations? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. That's That's how we stayed in business. Really? So we don't do it anymore, but that's what we had to do at the time to stay in business. What did you say? Please help yeah <laughs> i said look here's the deal if you like what we're saying and you want us to spread the word please help us and we'll do it together and i meant it and that's exactly what we did and if those guys hadn't become members and paid 10 bucks a month et cetera, to keep us afloat at the time well we would have never reached now we're at two and a half billion people that have seen the show so those people wouldn't have seen th- this progressive show they wouldn't have gotten the message out uh, about how the, you know, whatever it happens to be, the Republicans lying to you, Democrats lying to you, uh, the politicians, you know, getting bribed, and and everything else that we do. They never would have gotten to see it if the audience hadn't chipped in and made it happen.
0: Was there an alternative where you felt like if they didn't chip in to make the show that you would have gone back to law?
1: No, nah, that... So... <laughs> for that, a long that, time that ship sailed? Life, yeah, for a long time in my life. Every time I went on a, a date with, her, uh, with a woman, she'd always ask. Um, so... You think anybody going back to law? <laughs> right. Now, remember, I'm I'm a starving radio part-time talk show host for a huge stretch of time there, from 95 to, I mean, even after we started the Young Turks, to 05 or so. I mean, that's a 10-year desert of no pay to tiny amount of pay, right? So I'm scrounging. I'm barely, like, can – I'm afraid to buy a dollar Snapple because that's – hey, I could have water instead. What am I wasting the 99 cents for, right? So when I go out on a date and I'm you know, i taking them to Denny's or wherever, I'm taking them, right? Sometimes literally, right? So California Pizza Kitchen was fancy for me. CPK. Yeah, yeah. And so so they, that's why they were like, oh, you're going to keep doing this radio BS, really? You're going to keep doing that? And, Are you sure you don't want to go back into law, right? And so whenever they asked, you sure you don't want to go back in the law? I knew they weren't the right person.
0: Yeah, and you're married now Yeah, to an accepting
1: partner. Yeah, she was uh, phenomenal. I met her in 2004, back when I was a starving artist. And, uh, and uh, she, when we got married in 2008, uh, she made more money than I did. Uh, I, I never made any real money until I got on MSNBC, okay? So then you get a little bit of TV money, and then that has uh, maintained me since then, right? Because I don't spend a lot. But, um, but until then, I mean, I, I made a pittance. And so my wife was a social worker and made much more than me. And so she supported our family uh, until the MSNBC days. So from you started this in 2002? Yeah. To 2008? No, to 2010. To 2010, you were bootstrapped. Bootstrapped, you know. Uh, most of those years, I mean, it ranged. But if I was making 40000 a year, that was a good year.
0: Wow yeah and now you have community funding your projects, and you're still independent. Mm-hmm. You own your content, you can say what you want, mm-hmm. you have brand sponsorships some yep. What advice do you have for people and we'll we'll finish up. but what advice do you have for people that want to do this, be on YouTube, be creative in video to make a living? Because mm-hmm. everyone says you know you should pursue your passions or get better at it every every month or every day. The monetization side is still so early Mm -hmm. and people sometimes there's a you you can't give up first of all but like what what do you say for people that want to make a living with this
1: yeah so it's easy to say follow your dreams right yeah and a lot of people say it although a lot of people don't say it i mean then you go back after you get a rousing graduation speech and then you go back home and mom and dad tell you oh don't be an idiot okay go get a real job right so you get both sides My point is, if you're gonna follow your dream, I love you. That's what I did. I, you know, and I support that and I encourage that. But you got to realize that it's a ton of work. Okay, make sure you pick something you love because if you don't love it, you can't work 15 hour days on it. And and the reality is, and we've been doing this now oh two 13 years, right? Of uh, most days were 12 to 15 hour days. Now, (laughs) you ready for that? Now, if you're ready for that and you love what you do so much that you could shoulder that burden, then you should. Then don't let anybody stop you. Then I'm positive you'll make it. Persistence is definitely the answer. Hard work is the answer. Boldly pursuing your dream is the answer. But don't half-ass it. Don't, that's another reason why I quit law. The, everybody I knew reasonably said, no, Jank, just keep doing the law job so you can get paid. You, you know, it's too much a risk to try to get a radio job and et cetera. No, no, that's a road to oblivion, right? If you if you just do half measures, you'll never make it. Okay, so you, you got to go for it, but be willing to put in the work uh, to go for it. And one other thing that you got to—it's very important—is don't be afraid to fail. If you're holding on to your ego um, and you get wedded to no, I'm my way. I'm going to do it my way, right? Uh, it's positive if you're pursuing your dream in your way, but on a macro scale, on a micro scale, adjust adjust adjust. For God's sakes, adjust. Because if you're too worried and too insecure when somebody gives you a suggestion, like no way, no, I I'm going to prove you that I'm right and I'm never going to change. That's a that's a rocky road ahead for well, you. Well, the market and the
0: people around you have to tell you where you go. Like you, yeah. you 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 say, "Oh, I have a passion great," but you have to shape it based on the feedback you get and you guys do that with your community.
1: Absolutely. And that is not a contradiction, it's a balance, right? It, You got to know your mission and not waver from that. But you got to, when it comes to strategy, when it comes to how you execute it on a day to day basis, you got to be very open to other people's ideas, be uh, totally open to being proven wrong, and learn from your mistakes uh, and keep learning, keep learning until you get better and better. That's great.
0: And if the market tells you that, JLo's ass isn't the right direction to go to if 50 percent of your content is around that then don't do it
1: that's right and by the way don't get seduced either yeah because it depends if you want to just do entertainment great we have entertainment shows that just do entertainment they do them in an honest way they do them in a smart way but yeah they, but it's entertainment right, right? um
0: actually but, Brett, Brett elrick is the one who Ehrlich is our connection. That's right. He's an old and buddy of mine, and he does the entertainment show. And
1: yeah, Brett's on Pop. He's on Pop Trigger. He's one has been one of the hosts yeah. of Pop Trigger all this time. But it's a great example. It's an entertainment show, but it's super smart. Brett's a uh, Stanford graduate, one of the smartest guys at the company, and uh, and he does our entertainment show, right? And so you know, uh, Ben, Michael, myself, we do sports. Uh, we all know politics inside and out, but we love sports. We can have an honest conversation about sports. Um, but yeah, but. So, don't, But you might see that, hey, J-Lo's ass or Kim Kardashian's ass these days uh, gets a lot of clicks. And gets page views. And-, and, and gets more views and stuff like that. Well, that's when you might begin to waver from your mission. Don't do that either. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> right? Don't, don't get seduced by. Don't chase the clicks. Don't chase the clicks. Don't get seduced by Kardashian ass. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> <laughs> um, so stick to your mission while learning along the way
0: and a uh, prediction on Bill Simmons where do you think he'll end up you think he'll go independent and get like raised
1: oh that's easy he'll end up at TYT okay so this is it <laughs> we heard it here first well you would be hearing it first um look it's news to bill uh, we're making we're making a real effort we'd like to try to get him right is it a long shot of course other people are offering him 10 million a year i think we don't have that kind of money right but we do have something that I think he agrees with here, that he's like-minded on. So I don't know that we get him this time around, but eventually if he's doing sports online in an honest way, my sense is that he will eventually come to us. Well, you both have chapters in my book. Oh, is that right? Yeah. All right, God bless. Yeah, he
0: gets paid to be a fan. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. In a lot of ways we do too. Yeah, you're very similar. Yep. Cool, Well, thank you. It's phenomenal. You're a good interview.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it.
0: (laughs) That was Yank. So awesome for him to come on the show, give me access to their studio space in Culver City. was a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. Really inspiring. Another former lawyer on the show. I feel like reformed lawyers make excellent content creators, partially because they've made money and they know the evils that come with being the slave to a corporate job. But more importantly, I think they also get the idea of giving back. Because sometimes in our country, you make so much money and it's driven by a oftentimes greed so people have a come to fruition moment where they realize hey i need to do something that's fulfilling and creative even if i'm taking a loss financially or not making the money that i used to make and i i can completely empathize with them since i've jumped into the influencer economy world but i'm playing the long game as i think everyone else should because in the in the scheme of it life is built upon relationships and friendships and the more you have that's your currency to succeed and money will come Sometimes more slowly, but it will be the right kind of money. And you want the right kind of clients. You want the right kind of business partners who get it and are on the same wavelength. So excited again to offer the first chapter of the book. Feel free to hit me up, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, and I'll send it your way. Also, I have a tip sheet for marketing and launching your podcast, Ryan, at InfluencerEconomy.com, and I'll send that your way as well. Finally, I, a, need, I need as much support on iTunes as possible. I'm making a big push to get this podcast featured soon. I'm also going to be rebranding it and calling it by a different name that hopefully will happen in the next few months. But, yeah, I've got a lot on my plate, so any iTunes reviews or subscriptions really, really make a difference. So, anyway, thank you again for listening and showing me the love. I'm in the backyard. It's a beautiful day in L.A. this summer. I cannot believe it's flying by so quickly. If I don't hear from you soon, have a great 4th of July. And uh, if you get this and wish me a happy birthday on Twitter, uh, my birthday is coming up on July 2nd, I will give you a free Starbucks gift card. So secret, secret uh, Easter egg in this episode. So thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon.